from Freie Universität Berlin, I'm Jonas Benz, and this is the Affect and Colonialism podcast. It is seen as one of the great achievements of European modernity to have cast out revenge from law and politics. The colonial narrative says where revenge rules and thus affect, modernity is absent. But is revenge actually outside of modernity or is it rather one of its blind spots? Today, we talk with philosopher Fabian Bernhardt about the place of revenge in colonial modernity. Fabian, herzlich willkommen. Hallo Jonas. Fabian, die Rache Fabian, revenge has a bad reputation. In common understandings of modernity, revenge is portrayed as something that is very bad and something that belongs to the past and should not play a role in modern society. Why is that and how exactly does it play out? Warum ist das so und wie sieht das genau aus? Warum das so ist, ist eine lange Geschichte und why this is the case is part of a longer story and there's a whole range of reasons for that. Let's start maybe with the overall idea that revenge has a very bad reputation in modernity, as you already pointed out. Revenge is not something we want to have. It's also not something we attribute to ourselves. And revenge is coded as strongly emotional, strongly effective. So it's connected with ideas of excessive violence, with brutality, with the absence of law. It hasn't always been that way, though go back into history. For example, let's take a big leap back to ancient Greece, where revenge and justice were by no means necessarily seen as antagonistic. This doesn't mean to say that revenge was always conceived of as just, but it was not opposed to law by default. And in the modern era, a process started that separated revenge from law, so much that revenge fell out of the range of what was seen as justice. So eventually, revenge came to represent the other of law, and therefore the other of everything modernity stands for, progress, rationality, security, and so on. Rationalität, Sicherheit und so weiter. You said that in modernity, revenge has become the other of law and order. This sounds as if the institutionalization of modern law has a lot to do with banning revenge from the political space of modernity and the practices that are connected to revenge. But what is it exactly modernity dislikes about revenge? Das sind eben diese Vorstellungen, die it's got to do with those ideas um, already mentioned, that revenge is strongly associated with violence, with lawlessness, and that it's obviously partial. And modern law, by its very idea, is impartial. So we have to mention that in the course of establishing the modern state and the modern state monopoly of power, a particular image of revenge was created one that was increasingly more negative than what revenge looked like in reality. This picture that we have, that revenge is always extremely excessive, extremely brutal, is something we find predominantly 
in the cartosphere of imagination. We find it in the movies we watch. We find it in comic books, in novels. And this exaggeratedly violent image of revenge has been projected onto non-European so-called traditional societies. This leads us to the question, what does the exclusion of revenge from modernity, the coding of revenge as something to be avoided, what do these things have to do with the colonial world? Where do you see the connection between the bad reputation of revenge, its exclusion from modernity and colonialism? This is uh, too is a longer story. Maybe I should take a step back. There is a certain narrative about how the modern state evolved. And the blueprint of this narrative derives from Hobbes. Generally speaking, it's always a story about transition. There is a status quo ante that is characterized by lawlessness and lack of security. And out of this situation, the state is born to secure law and safety. The before the lawless status quo ante historically used to be called the state of nature. Many will know about this term. The state of nature is strongly connected to notions of lawlessness and also revenge. So then there's a transi transition from the disorderly before to the historical present, which starts with the establishment of the state. So the idea of the state of nature became very important in the historical context of colonialism and the European expansion. It was projected onto all societies and cultures with which the Europeans got in contact with back then. And curiously, Revenge has always been something that was projected onto others. Looking at literature, uh, for example, revenge tragedies, you can see quite clearly that British writers used to set their tragedies in Southern Europe, Spain or Italy, so places um, that appeared quite exotic to them. Now, Italian or Spanish writers of the same time they would place their revenge tragedies in the Orient or the Ottoman Empire. So what you can see there very clearly is the projection onto something that is conceived of as foreign or different. What is also interesting in this context is that we have mainly talked about the negative coding of revenge so far. But uh, of course it's not true that we see revenge completely negative, especially in the cultural imaginary, in the movies and so on, our heroes are the ones engaging in revenge. So we don't always have a problem with it. In those cases, we actually embrace revenge and celebrate the protagonists. This means that in the cultural imaginary, we put revenge on a pedestal and see it as an expression of a natural sense of justice. So there's a constitutive ambivalence condemnation and demonization of revenge on the one hand and idealization of revenge on the other. Um, and that's happening to revenge on different levels. In the cultural imaginary, we idealize it. In reality, however, it is perceived very negatively. And this ambivalence also characterizes the colonial idea of the supposedly other. There's a similar polarity here, where the others are either be seen as cannibals 
or as their counterpart as noble savages you are describing an ambivalence on the one hand revenge is seen as the other of modernity the other of europe and consequently is also spatially projected into the non-european so revenge exists elsewhere and modernity wants nothing to do with it but on the other hand Revenge also keeps on appearing in the cultural production of Western modernity. In the book you recently published, you wrote a lot about Batman. That would probably be one of the, those good Avengers in Western narratives. And this ambivalence, you say, stems ultimately and fundamentally from the colonial gaze. This also confronts us with the question how colonial is modern political philosophy. You said earlier that the state of nature is a state in which revenge rules, whereas after the social contract is formed and the state is established, revenge is overcome. So could one say that the basic idea of the state of nature, which is so fundamental in liberal political philosophy, is deeply connected to the colonial gaze? What do you think? Yes, I think you can say that because modern legal theory and legal philosophy is extremely Eurocentric. The absence of legal institutions as we know them, that is, state institutions, was confused with the absence of law overall. So in these societies, we found no cause of codes of law, no police, no jails, no judges. And this led to the conclusion that there is no law at all. Uh, I'm now talking about these early texts from political philosophy, the foundational texts, so to say. And that idea is wrong, of course. Every society has legal institutions. They just look very different. In societies without a central political authority, Conflicts are regulated by the principle of retaliation. So there is something similar to retributive justice, but it works very differently than we often imagine. Instead of being excessively violent, it's about regulating and limiting violence. And in this context, the theory of gift or gift exchange in general plays a very important role. First of all, it is important to mention that it's not individuals that are confronting each other, but always collectives, um, kinship groups. Um, let's imagine that a violation of a norm has, has occurred, an insult, a robbery perhaps, or even a killing. Now, this is a problem. A social relationship has been disturbed, and this relationship must now be repaired. There is a legitimate right to exert violence on part of the injured party. But this right, however, is very precisely regulated. For example, within a period of three days, it is permissible to retaliate a killing with a killing. After these three days, it would look different. That's not all. It's also precisely regulated which person from group A can retaliate against which person from group B in this way. Therefore, that violence is replicated with violence is not the usual way. 
The usual way would be for people to sit down and negotiate, talk to each other, and then try to find a compensation. A compensation for the damage that has been done or for the insult that has been inflicted. Very often these compensations are goods that are considered valuable by both groups, which then move from one group to the other. Now you might think, oh, basically that's a payment being made, that's something being paid off. And our language also tempts us very much to think of it that way. There are, after all, a whole series of expressions in the semantic field of revenge that have an economic tone, payback, for example, or to settle a score. With these goods that are being exchanged, it is not the material value that counts. Rather, they have to be conceived of as a symbolic transaction, a symbolic form of exchange. And this symbolic exchange basically is about restoring mutual recognition and respect. It seems that in your interpretation of revenge, revenge actually becomes less of an excessive emotion that makes impossible political rule, legal order and justice. Rather, in societies without a state organization, Revenge has the function of stabilizing society, establishing order, and producing justice. So, has modernity gotten it all wrong and developed unjust notions about revenge? I would say that the ideas about revenge that are dominant in modernity are very one-sided. In modern philosophy and modern thinking, there are three basic assumptions about revenge. That it is excessive, that it is lawless, and that it has to be violent. Revenge can be all of those things. Of course it can. But it would be wrong to think that it always is like that. And this is exactly the problem with this one-sided negative image of revenge. It's a distortion. This is problematic because this understanding of revenge has been projected onto other societies. Ultimately, the whole modern narrative of revenge is about self-assurance. It's about reassuring ourselves of our own progressiveness, of our own rationality. And at the same time, it distracts us from the fact that there are many actions in our own society which can be described as revenge. We just don't perceive them as such. Um, because they are not excessive or violent or lawless. In everyday life, there are many small micro-practices of retaliation. To give one example, um, let's say a friend of you has a party and doesn't invite you, so you feel insulted, you feel excluded. And when the time comes, maybe you will return that practice and don't invite your friend. Another common example is that your partner has an affair and you respond this by having an affair yourself. These things happen. However, they don't fit uh, to our image of revenge as excessive, bloody and lawless. Actually, we don't have such big problems with them. From a moral point of view, we would perhaps say that it would be better to be above these things and to find other ways to deal with such insults. In any case, we evaluate them differently than, let's say, a revenge killing in the context of organized crime. And this also relates to the colonial coding of revenge. 
If you pay attention to media discourse and the question where the word revenge itself is used explicitly, then you can observe that there's always um, some other word nearby that in one way or the other marks the context as somehow different or other. So in Germany there might be mentioning of so-called parallel societies, Paralleelgesellschaften, or of Arab clans, of the Taliban, or Putin, but uh, it is not Macron or Merkel who are taking revenge. So there's always a legacy of the colonial gaze and a gesture of segregation that is being reproduced. The narrative about modernity is very much a historical narrative. This means the idea of excluding revenge from modernity is very strongly linked to the idea of development. Namely that revenge belongs and should belong to the past and that European societies have developed beyond revenge. But from what you just said and also mention in your book, namely that revenge remains present in modern society, this whole historical narrative of modernity needs to be questioned, right? Uh, also ich stehe diesem I must say I'm very critical of this modern narrative of progress or of any idea of progress in general. Because the question always arises, this now is a issue that goes beyond revenge, according to which standards is progress measured? The European idea of progress is very much linked to the technology and European modernity has proven to be progressive in this one aspect, but why does technology have to be the relevant criteria? Personally, I consider modern rule of law to be an achievement, but we must not forget what the other side of the coin looks like, what may be obscured in order to be able to continue telling this narrative of progress. According to the modern narrative, we have left revenge behind us, but emotionally and effectively, we certainly have not. Most people still very well know the effective impulses and feelings associated with revenge. When you've been injured, humiliated, insulted, there's something effective that stings, but these feelings actually no longer have a legitimate place in our society. And if we give in to these affects and act accordingly, we usually won't admit to it, except in front of our closest friends, maybe. There is something like a modern incognito of revenge. So it is still present, but it mostly appears in disguise under a different name, unrecognized. It doesn't show its face. Um, revenge basically is made invisible. Revenge is very present in the cultural imaginary and the cinema and so on, or when we are dealing with the supposed other, then we talk about revenge. But it doesn't appear in the social or political interior of modernity. Um, according to the official narrative, revenge doesn't appear there at all, and it shouldn't have a place there either. 
da taucht die Rache der offiziellen Erzählung zufolge eigentlich gar nicht auf. Und da darf sie auch keinen Platz haben. Wir haben ja im Rahmen dieses Podcasts schon oft In this podcast, we often talk about something we call the colonial politics of affect. That describes a mechanism to attribute certain affects to certain people and not to others. The colonial politics of affect in modernity, which we've just been talking about, tends to attribute emotions rather to those outside of Europe. Is your perspective on the presence of revenge in modernity then ultimately also a critique of the colonial politics of affect? Kolonialer Affektpolitik? Ich habe das selber nicht so formuliert. I didn't frame it like this in my book, but I think I would agree with putting it that way. Allow me to make two remarks in this context. The first one is that we're talking about a very exaggerated affectivity, an affectivity that doesn't have itself under control, that is projected in these cases. And that's a very classic motive to juxtapose affectivity with rationality. But what is often overlooked is that revenge is not only effective but also rational. If revenge was totally devoid of rationality, then you wouldn't be able to finish a single revenge project because it always requires some planning. If we look at certain revenge stories, for example, Homer's Odyssey from antiquity, or the Count of Monte Cristo, then we find that these stories involve revenge projects which are planned out to the smallest detail and over very long periods of time. In the case of the Count of Monte Cristo, the story extends over a period of 20 years. You can't do that if you blindly follow your passions. In other words, in emotion research, this categorical contrast between affectivity on the one hand and rationality on the other hand has actually been overcome. We know that the relation between affectivity and rationality is much more complex, much more intertwined. But in certain other discourses, it is still the case that people think, no, that's rational, that has nothing to do with emotions, or vice versa. And revenge shows us that this simple contrast doesn't work. Revenge thereby becomes something like a looking glass, because the same applies also to many other distinctions. For example, the distinction between just and unjust. Revenge can be unjust, but it also has something to do with justice. Why do you think, is it important to develop this decolonial perspective on revenge and the presence of revenge in modernity? What do we see when we take on this perspective that we would not see otherwise? Ich hoffe, dass wir ein etwas, I hope that we gain a somewhat more open and honest view of ourselves through this. And perhaps the view of the supposedly other can become less biased. I believe that my work is connected to a critique of modernity, but it is also about a form of self-enlightenment. So the initial question of my work was, where is revenge within us and how do we deal with revenge? And then you realize very quickly that it's not absent at all. And you realize
realize that behind this allergic stance or affect towards revenge, no, no, you have to push it away first, there's actually a much more complicated and ambivalent story. Und ambivalentere Geschichte verbirgt. Fabian, vielen Dank. Ich danke dir, Jonas.